Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, Associate Editor Mark Demko. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast. Uh, as we're sitting here today, it's mid August, and this is probably the time of the year um, where guys start putting their trail cameras out in earnest start mapping out their strategy, trying to take an inventory of, of the bucks that are on the landscape. We're talking about whitetail hunters and things like that. And so I'm really excited today. We have Tom Rainey. Tom, welcome. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I apologize for the Spartan-like uh, surroundings. I, I'm actually at the warehouse today, busy season. Everybody is uh, wanting to get those trail cameras out. And so I had to slide over here into a spare office to get away from things for a minute to try and. Uh, talk a little bit about trail cameras right now uh, no absolutely we totally understand it's got to be one of your peak times of the year as you start to move towards the season oh, it, the toughest thing this time of year is is just the the communication you know because it's when everybody wants to talk about it and that's when everybody's excited about it and it's when your retail partners are you know needing different things and whether it's media press uh copy there's so many different things they need. And as the business of the outdoor industry has evolved over the last several years, there have been more and more components that have kind of fallen to the manufacturers. So my plate is quite full this time of year. Yeah, no, I totally understand. And uh, Tom is in charge of marketing and PR for Browning trail cameras. So, you know, obviously you're talking about there, you have to focus on a, a lot of different ways to get the word out to uh, everybody as far as your new products, availability for the year, when they're going to hit. Because obviously I'm, I'm guessing that everybody in the industry is still having a little bit of challenges, the supply chain issues and things like that. I think uh, in what you've started with, I think, has been the biggest challenge for me personally. It's been the evolution of the marketing job, the PR job in the industry. Because if you go back 20 years ago, you might get a chance to proofread like some of your larger retail catalogs. And then you had some magazines you were working with and you did some ads. But as social media and the need to get all of these different voices in place, and you've got these media partners with the evolution of the outdoor channel, sportsman's channel, platforms like that, the number of platforms that you have to develop messaging for, and it's got to be appropriate for that platform, or it's got to be appropriate for that retail partner. There's so many things in play. I tell people a lot that I feel like I'm juggling chainsaws and, and it might be a bit of a harsh visual, but at the same time, I do feel like that some days because you, you start to, uh, this is the word vomit, you know, you just start throwing words out there sometimes and <laughs> it might not always be great, but you're just trying to keep up and survive some days. And that's just where we are in the industry right now. And I actually enjoy the challenge of it. So I don't have any complaints, uh, keeps me on my toes and keeps me from getting bored, I suppose. No, absolutely. And I totally understand. I came from a PR and marketing background as well. And so I uh, obviously, you know, how um, as the, the world has expanded and, you know, you, you touched on it so well, there's so many different uh, ways you have to market and message and reach your audience and the, the tone that goes into the different audience and things like that. But what we really want to talk about is what you have new for this year. So, I mean, every year, right. you know, Browning comes out with great new products for trail cam and trail cam scouting. And yep. I'm assuming this year is no exception. Uh, this year, um, we got aggressive, for lack of a better word. We had 
in our line, we have what amounts to six series of cameras. And every year there's some new evolutions. And so this year we tried to introduce some new evolutions across all six of those series. Uh, and as I go through, I won't get too far into the weeds because the information is there. But if I can give some people enough information that they might be curious, they can always check us out at browningtrailcameras.com. Uh, but I'll start with what we call our introductory series. It's the Command Ops series. Those cameras are going to retail around $100. They're not going to have all the bells and whistles, but if you just need a camera to go out and do the grunt work and get you the pictures and the videos and take that inventory, that's the series for you. It's not terribly expensive, but it's a great camera. And I think the lack of bells and whistles normally helps deliver some really good battery life. You get people that tell us routinely that the command ops cameras that they have in their arsenal have the best battery life of anything that they've got. So I think that there are some upsides to having those entry level cameras. We also introduced two what we call sub micro series cameras a few years ago. That's the Strike Force. And I dare say that's the best selling series in the market right now. Strike Force is a small, low-glow infrared trail camera, and the Dark Ops is basically the sister camera. It's an invisible flash camera as opposed to the low-glow infrared. Uh, and we have two new cameras in each one of those series. You've got the standard operating procedure with each one of the cameras where it's a it's a six AA batteries. You go out, it can take the high-res images, it can take low-res images, it can take high, uh, HD video. So it's got a lot of those features. The DCL versions of those two cameras, so Strikeforce DCL and Dark Ops DCL, those particular cameras actually are like buying two cameras in one. Uh, you've got the dual lens technology in those where you have a lens and a processor perfectly tuned for daytime imagery and videos and a lens that's perfectly tuned for your nighttime images and videos. So you've got those things working, at least in those three series of cameras. Um, I can jump over into the other three series. I don't know if people want to hear me continue to drone on necessarily about all six. I don't know if you have any questions. We can focus on those three and I can jump into the next ones. I do, because we were going to touch on this later. You mentioned the DCL. I hope I heard that right. But you talked about the dual yeah. lenses or the two different lenses. And, you know, one of those things, sure. I think uh, almost all the cameras on the market today take phenomenal daytime pictures. But one of the challenges, uh, people who are looking for more than just seeing like the the size of the rack that's out there on a white-tailed deer, and they really want to hone in and get quality images, they struggle a little bit at night. And so I was wondering yep. how those cameras might help with that. And and while we're talking that, before we get back into the series, what sure. your other thoughts are, if you really want to try and get good nighttime quality images, because obviously shutter speeds and all the other stuff comes into play when you're talking about yep. photos in the dark without a really bright flash. Yep. I've actually, I'll say this and I might send it to you later. You might be able to provide a link somewhere else later. I actually dug into some nighttime imagery with some NASA science, actually, just trying to explain to people so they could develop some real expectations when they look at their nighttime camera imagery and videos, especially during the season as the deer start to move a little more uh, under nighttime conditions as opposed to, you know, doing it on our clock where they're sitting in, the, where we're sitting at a stand at 9 a.m. and they come strolling by. Uh, you know, a lot of them have gone, gone nocturnal that time of year. So just general recommendations is, I always start off with just have some realistic expectations. Uh, 
you've got three types of flashes out there. You've got the white flash. Those cameras aren't quite as available as they once were. Uh, we don't make one off the top of my head. I would be hard pressed to name one, but uh, that's going to be your best nighttime image. But a lot of people are scared off by the flash, uh, and which is pretty understandable. The next evolution was into the low glow infrared cameras. Between those and the invisible flash cameras, the low glow infrared flash is going to take the best image because of the science, because that shutter can close a little more quickly because it's able to receive more light because of that flash. You're around, you really want me to get scientific here, you're around 850 nanometers on the flash with those cameras in terms of the light waves. Uh, then you get into the invisible flash cameras, they're around 940 nanometers. Uh, once you get into that, the shutter has to stay open a little longer. So you're opening yourself up to more I want to say poorer, but my accent doesn't let me get that word out terribly well. But poorer nighttime images than you would get in with other cameras. Uh, so usually with all that in mind, and like I said, I can send you the link if y'all want to post it somewhere where people can go and kind of read that. Focus on spots like if you really want to get some nighttime images, angles matter. Like I tell people, if you've got a trail you know, an angle where you're shooting down the trail. Like if there's a, a cornfield, I'll use left and right for this example, but to your left here, like there's a cornfield and the deer's coming from out of the timber to my right. You might want to have that camera focused at maybe a 55 degree angle into the trail right there. So that as the cameras come or as the deer is coming, he's not walking directly past the camera like this. So like when they're doing this, I guess I can actually give the visual. If somebody's listening to this, I'm waving my hand in front of my other hand, like a circus clown here, I guess. But it makes the point that if you're pointing perpendicular, straight into at a 90 degree angle into that trail, like you're reducing your opportunity to capture a really decent, clear shot. So if you want to put it at a different angle, uh, if you want to put it on a food source where they're not moving as much, you know, they're going to pick their head up and turn and it's going to look like somebody stuck their hand in a can of white paint and smeared it all over a screen. It just is what it is. It's the science. We, we as trail camera manufacturers cannot make that science go away when it comes to light waves and how long you have to leave things exposed. But you can do some things to control the environment. Like I said, different angles on the trail, food source, water source. Uh, there are some trails on our property where we've had storms come through and blow trees over. I actually like to try and get a camera on the bedding side of that downed trail or that downed tree, I'm sorry. Because that deer's going to have to slow up when he gets there. He might stop, he might jump over it, but it's going to reduce the speed of what you're trying to catch an image of. And I know that's a lot of different things, but basically it's angle, food source, water, obstacles. All those four things come to mind when you're really trying to look for a deer that's going to slow down, that's going to give you a chance for that shutter to open and close and actually get you a clear image. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate that. And it's like, you know, when I live in Pennsylvania, where you don't have the opportunity to debate, whereas if you're in another right. state where you might all have a feeder or something, you have some different opportunities yep. to get better quality images or, or more images for that matter, if they're in a stationary position or uh, the same general area. Now, not to go too far off topic right now, let's get back oh, to sure. oh, exciting. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hot mess all the time anyway. <laughs> off topic works for me, on topic. It's, <laughs> it's like you've invited a circus monkey onto the, the podcast for the day. So here we are. Well, that's phenomenal. But uh, so we were, we were diving into some of the series, but let's continue with what else you have new for this year. Okay. There are three more series of cameras. We have what we refer to as our standard size cameras. Now, these are the ones, like if you're really into video, they only hold eight AA batteries. It's the Recon 4 series, and it's going to be your Spec Ops series. Those particular cameras this year, it's the uh, this year's newer, newest model is the Recon Force HE5, and that's like uh, representative of the high-efficiency LEDs that are going to be found in that camera. So that's what the HE is derived from. And it's the same thing with the Spec Ops. If you're looking for some really high-quality video, a lot of our TV shows use these cameras as a second-angle camera in a lot of instances because it's going to record up to 60 frames per second uh in the 1080p mode which is like a legit 1080 uh i've heard nothing but good things for the last several years about the video quality on these cameras and they also are going to capture the great nighttime and daytime images that you've come to expect something that i do like to say and i'm very comfortable saying this is i believe that that spec op series if somebody is out there in the marketplace and they're looking for an invisible flash camera I will put that Spec Ops series against all of them when it comes to invisible flash nighttime images. It, it delivers, people can, back to your point earlier, they can see the rack. They can, they can really do some analysis. They can figure out what kind of deer they have in there. Uh, it gives you an opportunity to really take some solid inventory when you're out trying to identify some things. And then the last series of cameras that we have, it's the wireless series. So anything that is active in our lineup right now that says Defender in front of it, that's going to be a cellular camera. And we've got one that's in stock right now, and we're going to do a soft introduction here at the end of the year with two more models. The one that's in stock right now, Pro Scout Max, those things hit the warehouse and they fly out. Uh, it's a, sort of our first venture into... Uh, the the lesser expensive options we're never going to have the cheapest but we're away from that 200 dollars mark now we're down around the 139 149 few of the bells and whistles that people may have seen on the 300 wireless camera that we were selling previously might not be on this camera but the battery life is going to be crazy on this thing uh I know that most people get more than 15 images a day, but doing the math on the electronic circuits, like if you were going to say 15 daytime and 15 nighttime images every day, uh, the battery life will extend out to about a year under those circumstances. So if you're getting a lot more, you know, it's not going to be quite as much or if you're using video, it might shorten it a little bit, but uh, you, you could get up to close around uh, 12 months, 10 months, which for me, my instant or my circumstances, like that's plenty. I know we'll get into it later about some of what I do with mine, but like the battery life I get on this is going to be perfectly fine. And then we do have another high end Defender Ridgeline Pro coming out and the Defender Vision. 
the Defender Vision is going to be a Black Flash version of all of the cellular technology we have out there. And that Defender Ridgeline Pro is the next generation of we introduced the Ridgeline about 18 months ago. So this is just the second generation of that. That'll be the new high-end camera in the cellular space for us. We still carry some of the older models just because people like those. The first one was a great one, but it's a $300 camera. But the people that have it really like it. I mean, it, it has brings all the bells and whistles to the game and delivers the full package when it comes to the cellular experience. Yeah. Now, thank you for going over all of that and you, you have so many new models that have just come out or as you said you're going to be having I know. Come out I probably should have prefaced that with like we have 10 new trail cameras buckle your seatbelts this might be a boring ride like I said, well, well, but I did want to try to at least touch base on all of them if somebody listens to that at two times the speed when they're listening to their podcast I kind of get that but we'll get into some more exciting things as we go through I'm sure yeah. And then for anybody who's listening, check out browningtrailcamera.com. Uh, check out yep. their website. It's, it's it's a great website. It has a great breakdown of all the features of each of the cameras. Um, and and uh, it's really a, a great step for starting to do your purchases for trail cameras this year. Um, yeah, but I, as we started, I, I hate to interrupt, but I was just going to say kind of along with what you're saying there, we actually designed it for people that are shopping. Like a yeah. lot of, you know, sometimes you can build a website with too much entertainment and uh -huh. somebody comes on there to look to buy a camera and there's all these bells and whistles and all your TV shows are doing lots of fun stuff. And you got all these cool video clips and we decided to focus on like if somebody comes to our site and you really want to learn about the trail cameras that are available, that that was what we did. Uh, we do have a blog on there uh it's got some recipes are my favorite honestly so we got recipes but we do have trail camera tips we do some vlogs uh and then the most recent edition we just launched our unlimited data plans for all the cell cameras we've got new unlimited data plans so we just built a whole page on that explaining everything in detail how we arrived at the cost uh trying to inform people as much as possible before they get into that decision making process Yes. And um, so I'm guessing we're getting to the time of the year where you're going to start doing more of your trail cam scouting. I mean, uh, uh, when you think about August now, the, the, the by the end of the month, the Bucks will have most of their growth on their antlers. Talking about whitetails, um, you live in Tennessee. And so I'm assuming you do a lot of your deer hunting uh, near where you live and in the state. But uh, what's your strategy? When do you start to put your trail cameras out? And what's your strategy? Like how much or how little do you try to glean so it helps to shape your hunting experience and the type of buck you're after to get on i'll start with the timeline uh in terms of the timeline like i'm fortunate that the land that we hunt on we've got some history on so we've been there so i'm going into it with some knowledge so i understand that there might be some people listening that you know haven't been on a piece of ground before so i'll i'll try to give like a, a general outline so that it kind of applies to everybody in general mm -hmm. or when it comes to this but mm, I'll start in January and try to give everybody just the full 12 month cycle. January is about the time we go out uh, to check the cameras from the previous season. And by check, I mean, I'm, I'm double checking battery life and all of these. And we pull about two thirds of our cameras in January, but we reload with new batteries, new SD cards, new everything as we lead into turkey season, because I like to turkey hunt a lot. So if somebody doesn't turkey hunt, that's a good time to pull them all in and do maintenance. But we pull some and leave a few out. And then around June or July, 
normally July, we'll go ahead and bring in everything, which sounds a little counterintuitive, but I want to have new batteries. I want to make sure the contacts on the battery trays are clean. No spider webs, no lenses. I get a little compressed air. I, get, I do the whole maintenance over the course of a couple of weeks. And I run around two dozen cameras, uh, you know, give or take a few, but two dozens around the number. Uh, and we go back to spots where we have historically seen deer. So that kind of goes back to, I've got a little previous knowledge, but it's usually food plots. We've got some travel corridors. Uh, we've got some water sources. I try to focus on those three areas. Again, it, when you go in and don't have information to understand that you may have to roll the dice and you may put a camera in a place where you might not get as much activity as you'd like, but we did that in the beginning. When we first started hunting this ground and putting up trail cameras, there were several places where we tried and we'd get, you know, run them for a month and have 73 pictures. And it'd be like, this probably isn't the spot. Um, but we put them all back out full bore in August and we do the new batteries, new SD cards. They're ready to go. And I, in my experience, have been able to leave maybe uh, 80% of our cameras out because I set them uh, typically 60 second delay. Uh, one, maybe two images. I might do multi-shot depending on where it is. Mm -hmm. And I won't have to change those batteries on those cameras until January. So that's the 12-month cycle. We do usually have some cameras because the videos are really cool. So we do have some fields and some cameras that we set on video. Obviously, I can't run those for six months if I'm getting a lot of videos. So I will have to go back in and change the batteries on those cameras at some point. Uh, but in terms of my schedule, that's kind of where we are. Uh, in terms of strategies, I mentioned it a little bit. Uh, food plots are normally food sources or, you know, because if you've got an oak flat, it doesn't hurt to maybe put a camera on the oak flat or in an oak flat. In terms of other areas, like I said, food plots, water sources, active trails, those are the things we focus on. Those three. It's just that quick hit list of three things right there. Yeah. Because so, I'm sorry, I, I should probably add, like, technically, especially I'm in a CWD county here in, in Tennessee. So we're not allowed to bait mineral rocks, anything is like that. So we're going through the same thing that most people are where they can't bait, they can't do the mineral leaks. So you've got to, like, really focus and pay attention where you're going to put those cameras out on places like I said, trails, food, sources, water. And I'm, I'm glad you started the, that part of the conversation with talking about everybody's situation is going to be different because you're going to have guys that maybe are hunting vast tracts of public land, maybe mountainous. Oh, yeah. Uh, me, I happen to have a couple acres at the house where I'll go on a camera year-round, whereas my other spots, right. I'll only put them out now in August and by the beginning of September. And then you have guys that maybe have large leases where they can leave, where they leave them out all year-round. They get a good, they yeah. can monitor the deer, and they don't have to worry about some of the things that uh, you do if you hunt in other parts of the country. So, uh, yeah, no, that's good for that. Now, um, you know, there's a, 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 a dual dynamic here. You're talking about having the great battery life on a camera. So, uh -huh. I think a lot of people want to to try and extend their battery life as long as possible. And that's probably for yep. two reasons. Minimize the amount of times they have to go into the field. If it's something like yep. using, a, a, you know, the camera on a regular basis, then also, you know, batteries can get expensive. So um, I don't know what you found over the years, but what are the best ways? Let's start with this one. 
what are your suggestions as far as you know guys handling um scent control and guys being really cautious about their footprint and their impact on the environment when it comes to deer hunting what do you recommend guys try to key on there as far as trying to minimize their impact i think uh i'm i i, I like nuanced answers and that might bore some people you know because in today's society everybody's like yes no this is right this is wrong and i say context matters even on the footprint uh, I'll use Don Kiske, for example, whitetail freaks, uh, man, he's an active farmer. He is a row crop farmer. He's in those fields a lot. Uh, and so he's got cameras in places where he has to be all the time to grow his crops. So he doesn't have to commit to a scent free approach necessarily, as much as somebody that has like a really isolated block of woods, like in the middle of a big lease, and they're trying to make this a sanctuary. Uh, so I think context matters. So I think that that is what people should think about before they determine like, and if you're like on a, a, a two track that everybody on your lease or in your family is on a lot, like, Man, if, you, if you're going to go to all that trouble and like spray down and like the next time your kids on the, his four wheeler and blows through there and he gets out because he sees a bunch of acorns on the ground, like whatever you tried to do, like it doesn't, it, it, you're, you're, you've wasted the effort. And I hate to say wasted, but you might have because your kids playing in front of your camera right now. But uh, if you do have a sanctuary, things like that. I think that there are things you can do with the settings on your camera to help. And when you set the camera out that matter, uh, paying attention to anything that might trigger that camera. And I know that can be a hot button topic for trail camera users sometimes, because, you know, you, you it, invariably somebody will call and complain, you know, my camera's taking a lot of pictures and then there's a, a branch that's been in the sunlight that's there. And so I say when you get in there, always take clippers, take a saw, really pay attention when you set that camera up. Our cameras and most all the cameras in the marketplace are triggered by heat and motion. So if you've got a branch or a, a, some kind of broad leaf that's in the food plot that sprouted up, that's going to catch the sunlight. If it's going to catch that sunlight, it's going to warm up and it's going to give it a higher chance of triggering that camera. So do what you can to get anything like that that's going to create motion. I know some people worried about can they worry about concealing the camera, but you can do that uh, without having something that's going to be in that detection zone necessarily. Uh, other things you can do to extend that battery life is once you get everything cleared out so it's not taking unnecessary images or videos, you can also set the delay on the timer. Uh, a little longer. Some people really go in there and they're like, all right, I'm going to do a, a multi-shot. I'm going to take four pictures every time a deer comes in here. Uh, and I want it to reset and take four more pictures every 30 seconds. Well, if, if disturbing that bedding area is a real concern, you might not want to do that. You know, extend the delay between your images to 60 seconds, two minutes even, uh, take it, set it where it only record or only takes one image or maybe two. Uh, don't do video. If you're really trying to protect an area in terms of like limiting your footprint in that space, 
so there's some simple things you can do. Make sure that the camera is positioned and that the things out in front of it aren't going to take unnecessary images. You don't want it to trigger unnecessarily. Uh, increase those delays. Uh, and on top of increasing delays, limit the number of multi shots. Don't take videos. So it's just there's some common sense things, but I think you just have to think through things in terms of context. I really do. Because the places I told you earlier where we like to put some cameras on video, those are high traffic areas for us. Like to get into the farm, we have to go by this tree. To get into this area, we have to go by this stand. So there's high traffic area anyway. So it doesn't matter if I have to jump off of the or jump out of my truck real quick and change the batteries. It doesn't matter because there's something going on there with some regularity, especially during the season. So Context matters and just pay attention to the little things. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I had to uh, do some of that trim work with a pear tree where I have a trail camera out of my property. There was just a little, there was enough movement of the vegetation that it was triggering the camera at times. And I went in there and just yep. pruned. I wouldn't even call it pruning. I just clipped a couple of things and it's been working fine. So it's, it's, it's a great point that you bring up because you don't always think of it. You look and you say, well, the general area right of the camera looks clean, but it could be anything from just a, a couple pieces of grass blowing. And it's just yep. today's cameras have such great sensors and really fast triggers. It, it doesn't take much. Yeah, I, uh, I actually... I'm older, so it, it takes a little more effort than it may have in my youth. But when I get that camera down, I'll, I'll kneel down beside it and look. And, you know, sometimes you just catch something, you know, like it, it might be something, some broadleaf weed that you probably don't even need in your food plot anyway. That's just standing about 18 inches high and like it gets hot because it's going to be in the sun. And when that wind blows, it's probably going to lead to a trigger. So just little things like that. I, uh, the other thing too, is, uh, the height of the camera on the tree too, because sometimes, uh, if you're, if you're too low, you might start catching every rabbit that walks right by the tree or every squirrel or something. So you don't really have to obsess over it, but like anything that might be a, a varmint for lack of a better word, like you want to make sure that you get the camera up enough that you're not going to trigger every time some little squirrel walks by or runs by with an acorn or anything. Yeah, and you, and you know, um, you mentioned uh, the sun in, in, in this part of the conversation. And, and obviously, there's some things you want to think about when you're positioning your camera out as far mm -hmm. as the impact the sun might have on things like that. Can you touch on that a little bit as far as uh, positioning the camera, as far as the sun's movement and things? I can. Uh, you know, you, you can, again, this goes, some of it is based on the fact that we've been on this piece of ground that we're allowed to hunt for quite some time now. So if, familiarizing yourself with where the sun sets and the sun rises is going to impact the quality of your images, so especially as you get into the season and the activity picks up at dusk and dawn. You, if you're facing the sun during a high peak activity window, you're increasing the likelihood of bad images. You just are because your camera is facing into the sunset uh, you got bad shadows like I don't want to say north and south is the general rule of thumb, because especially as the winter moves along, the sun kind of drops down a little further to the south. So it can be impactful at different points during the day. But paying attention to the sun, the trees, the shadows, all of those things matter in terms of like in image quality, too. Uh, 
And I apologize. There was something else. I got hung up on the sunlight there, and you—I think you asked a asked a multi-prong question for me there. No, no, you covered. We were talking about positioning the camera so you don't uh, you don't yeah. have the impact of the sun's rays at first light or the end, and and it's it's then hard to get really good quality pictures, you know. And and you're saying those are peak times for deer movement. So no, that you touched on that, and and that's important when you're thinking about setting up the camera. You want to make yeah. sure because like I can you, give like a real world example. I have. A, a, a food plot that I like to hunt. It's not a big one. That that particular food plot's maybe three quarters of an acre. But there's this little cove like where we were able to kind of clear some trees out on a point right there. And I keep a trail camera in there, not only because it's high traffic, but during the high traffic times, dusk and dawn, it's in a shadow because it's in that little cove. And so like the sun doesn't interfere with image quality when it's down at sunset and sunrise. And so looking maybe for a little cove like that, that's in a food plot or around a corner, uh, you just kind of got to be aware of those things. You know, one of the classic situations you're in, it doesn't happen as much with today's um, um, black flashes and, and no flashes and things like that. But uh, uh, used to be that sometimes uh, a buck might get weary or deer might get weary when the camera is out and they notice it. Because deer, no matter what, they're notorious for noticing every single thing out of place in their landscape. That's right. And obviously, the longer something's out in the field, they get used to it. But have you ever had a situation on your property where a particular buck or maybe a group of deer just didn't like the camera. What did you do to rectify that? I did. Uh, and it's the same field I was just talking about. There's an, a, a small Island in the middle that probably has eight to 10 trees in it. And I like to leave it there. It, I didn't clear it all out. It, I think it provides them some level, level of comfort because most everything that comes from the West walks in behind those trees right there. So I left it there, but I used to have, uh, a low glow infrared camera facing it, it wasn't great in terms of sunrise sunset but it was really good for getting images and there was this one buck that would come into the field and I would see him and he was always coming in when it was dark and he would get to the edge and he would walk to the south and go around that clump of trees I started doing two things like that field doesn't get a lot of traffic during the summer or during the season. I apologize. So it goes back to what I was saying earlier. Context matters. So with that particular camera, I started paying attention to like my scent trail and my footprint. If I was ever going to go into the field and then I moved that from a low glow infrared camera to a black flash camera. And then I actually, I uh, spent a little time trimming out some of the branches that were on that particular tree. And it goes back to like, you can still conceal on the sides and then like where it's not in the detection zone. Most of the detection zones are somewhere in the 40 degree window with any of the trail cameras that are out there, 42, 43, whatever. So like once you kind of determine what 43 degrees is, like you can eyeball it and guess at 45, you can do that with your hands almost. Uh, use it and then try to stay like right outside of those detection zones and let branches grow up, let some weeds grow up. It got a little better, uh, but I think there's just going to be some instances where they just know. I mean, it just, uh, you, you don't want to say that, but it just is what it is. Sometimes the deer are going to figure it out. Uh, I use this as an example. It, it probably makes me sound even more like a crazy person because I am, <laughs> but 
if I walk into a room, like I would bet anybody $50 at any given moment. If I walk into a room and there is no picture on a TV, I can tell you if it's on. Whether it's the the energy that's in the tubes or, well, I guess tubes. Now I sound like a hundred-year-old man talking about the tubes in my TV. Because that was like a, the last time they did that was what, 72. So, yeah, that was a thing. I could remember it too growing up. Right. So like I can walk into a room and tell when the TV's on. So like, I think there's something about the elect- electric current or something that the deer can detect to some degree. I think uh, there's something to be said for putting it on the same tree every year. Uh, I think there's some things with the, the familiarity that matters. Again, if you're on a new piece of dirt or you're on public ground, you might not have that luxury. Uh, so then you just have to get creative with how I'm going to try to conceal it, how I'm going to make the deer more comfortable. Uh, I've got friends that use old camo tank mesh netting sometimes, and they'll wrap that around the base of the camera because there's no circuitry that's visible there. They try to make it look like a, like it's covered in moss or something like that. So there's there's different variations, and I don't know that anybody's got the perfect answer, you know, to be honest with you. I think if anybody said they knew with 100% certainty that they could keep a deer from seeing their camera, I'd, I'd like to talk to them a little more because I'm not sure that you can guarantee that in any given moment. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's something that I learned to tinker with it on my property as well. And I yeah. just had some deer that never really warmed up to it. And, and a lot of the other ones, uh, especially moms with fawns and stuff, they just never seem to care. So it, you're right. You have to sort of fine tune it for your own situation. I think the other question yeah. I wanted to ask you is, um, you know, if you run in your case, I think you said you run 20 trail cameras or so. And, mm-hmm. and I run several, um, depending how many trail cameras you run in the farm, different property, if you're using wireless or whatever, you can get a lot of images coming in on a regular basis. Um, Mm -hmm. And for me, it's easy. I'm a minimalist. I don't like to save anything. So I clear everything out right away, except for the (laughs) images I really want. Others sort of get hung up on how do I organize and, you know, create categories and things like this. What's your strategy for staying on top of all those images? What do you personally like to do knowing you might get hundreds of images, maybe not a day, but at least a week? Right. I am a hundred years old. So I'll preface by that. We have a lot of people that are out there and probably most people who listen to podcasts are a touch younger than I am. So they probably are more comfortable with their mobile devices. Me, I'm more comfortable with my laptop and my desktop. And so my strategy now, it still can be applied to a mobile device, but my strategy in general is I do it by field first. So like everything's by location, like where this camera is, it's the West field, it's the East field, it's the, you know, it's, it's my nephew's field, whatever it might be. So I do it by location first. And then I go through and for me personally, I'm sort of like you, but I will still group it by animals because I like to turkey hunt. So I'll try to get familiar with turkeys. And even though they'll be gone by the time I try to hunt one of them, I, uh, by bucks, uh, (laughs) I even group coyotes because like if I started getting a big enough coyote folder, that starts changing some strategies because I have had this conversation with people in the past and they I've had more than one person agree with me that like in a state where it's legal, if a coyote comes out, I'll I'll blow a good deer hunt to get the coyote out of the herd. And then there's somebody that's way smarter than me that'll tell you that that's bad science. But like 
I'll deal with the repercussions later as long as it's illegal wherever I'm hunting, I'm shooting a coyote. And so like I so a group by animal, like location, animal. I try to uh do some of the other groupings. Like there's some people that are just uh better at it, for lack of a better word, at the organization in terms of moon phases or barometric pressure and all those things matter. Uh I still like some of the surprise, honestly. Like I, I, I try to pay attention to moon phase and some things like that. I tell you what, I do use uh, temperature. I do use temperature a lot. Uh, and and honestly, it's really just trying to see if it's cool or not. Like I'm not worried about you know if it's 32 today and it's 38 tomorrow. That's cool for me or 10 or 12, whatever. Um, so I think it's a matter of personal preference, but I think location is where you start. I really do. Uh, and then from there, it's just a matter of how you want to approach it. Again, my next step is by animal, like, uh, what kind of deer, because what I, what I find out is especially cause like, we don't have a ton of ground. We got, we got a little bit, but you can start figuring out what the travel patterns are on some of those deer, because you've got a deer and he's pretty recognizable. He's a, uh, a, a good six has no brow tines. He's pretty easily identified. And then you see him in the East field in the East field. And then all of a sudden he's like in the tater patch and he's in the tater patch. And then you're like, wait a minute, this deer is moving nocturnally North and South. And then, so if it's a deer you want to harvest, like you kind of start using that strategy too. So I don't know that my organizational process is as sophisticated as some people, uh, but I do know what is around. And honestly, it helps me get out of bed sometimes. Like, you know, the alarm goes off. It's been a long season. And you're like, man, that big 10 is still out there somewhere because I keep getting pictures and you get up and you go. So, again, I don't know that my system's the best. It's more I just enjoy the surprise every once in a while, too. And that's where I'm at. But what you touched on is so important with today's trail cameras and the strategy you use, you can use trail cameras as much as you want or as little as you'd like. If you really want to try and keep it to the more old style hunt, it'll just help you get an idea of what's in your area. Mm -hmm. Or you can really, really focus in on, well, I only see this buck in a certain moon phase with a, when the wind's coming right. in a certain direction. And there's people that love to do that. Or you can you know, move your cameras around if you're only getting a buck uh, uh, in the dark. Or you want to try and get a little closer yep. to his bedding area if he's coming out to feed him. But that's a great thing. We had this tool just a couple decades ago. We didn't have these tools. We didn't have the the quality or the technology. And so it's really been a game changer. And, you know, sportsmen from coast to coast use them. But uh, before we let you go, I should ask you, are there any other pro tips that you normally like to share maybe that we haven't touched about we've jumped around and probably covered a lot of the major things but there's anything that we haven't discussed uh maybe a couple of things i, I did want to add on to it too like i think your hunting philosophy impacts how you use the trail cameras i am wired pretty tightly and so i also like to think i'm self-aware and so I am incapable of being a trophy hunter and not for the reason some people are. I'm incapable of it because if I invest all that time and I work that hard and I put all that time and I really dig in and I'm like, I want to kill this deer and I don't, or I blow the shot. 
it is soul crushing to me. Like I don't, I don't recover from things like that. And people can give me the lecture. Oh, you know, you live another day. Like I'm not wired like that. I, I care too much. You know, when I invest that kind of time. And so knowing that I'm better off, like if there's like a, we've got a gene on the property that we hunt. It is a huge five. Like and by five, I mean three by two, no brow tines. Those things have got to go. Like, I like I like trying to sit and hopefully see one of them like bumble out into the field or come down the trail or make their way down the holler. So like my philosophy lends itself to like I can kind of skirt some of the detail. Like I don't have to focus on necessarily every minute detail that somebody that is really after this brute six and a half year old deer. Like if somebody's wired to be able to do that, they're going to really dig into those cameras more than somebody like myself um that and i've reached the point where i like seeing the nephews and the niece like have success too so i almost enjoy seeing them have success more so than me too so anyway that's that's just philosophically like i think that impacts how how much time people invest in the management of their trail camera images and videos because for me i like looking at cool videos sometimes i don't care what's on it you know uh, Block of turkeys going across a field and like a hawk comes down and they scatter and I'm like, oh, that's a cool video. So I'm a sucker for good videos. But uh, uh maybe try to put a bow on a few things in terms of just general tips. Uh man, I, I think the maintenance and paying attention to the camera, like I understand that there's people that want to run that camera all year round. They have the big lease, they have got family ground, all of these things. But at some point, it's something as simple as the contact uh, on a, like you've been running that camera for two straight years. You can take a number two pencil, take the eraser off that and just kind of clean off the contacts on your battery tray. Uh, taking it out, making sure the strap hasn't uh, had squirrel chewing on it. Uh, making sure that all of the sm smaller details have been taken care of before you get out there. And then like paying attention to like the right batteries. Like sometimes you Oh, look, I got a deal. I can get four dozen AA batteries for $4.99. Yeah. <laughs> don't, <laughs> please don't call customer service and question the performance of your camera if you spent $5 on four dozen batteries. Like, because <laughs> that's going to impact the performance of the camera. It really is. It's going to shorten up the detection range. It's going to impact some things. Uh, it might even make it uh, make your camera... I don't want to say incapable, but limit its ability in for capturing good nighttime images. Uh, and the SD cards, like class matters on SD cards. Like uh, our SD cards that we sell are class 10. So I'll do another hand gesture that nobody can see if they're listening, but I'll give you, I'm like spinning my index finger over the palm of my hand. It, it's a visual because that, SD card needs to be fast enough to receive the information that the camera is trying to write on it in the super fast method. And so if that camera is trying to write it super fast, but that SD card can't receive that information because it's uh, a class four, it's a slower, you might sacrifice some of the quality of your images. So paying attention to the little details So make sure you get some good high quality SD cards, make sure you got good solid batteries. Um, you know, there's some brands out there. We usually recommend ours, obviously. Uh, Energizer is a good brand. Uh, 
there's other batteries out there, but those are the ones like if somebody called our customer service, I'd push them into ours or Energizer. Uh, there might be people have other opinions on that, and that's fine. But we've dealt with enough of our cameras. I think it's a pretty good recommendation from our customer service team on in regard to that. Um, and in general, man, people need to have, uh, including myself, you got to have real ex- realistic expectations when you're setting those cameras out. Like if it's a spot that you've never had a camera in and you think it looks like a good spot and you've run that camera during some peak time, like, and you've only got 12 pictures over three weeks, you might want to check and make sure that the angle of the camera's right. You might want to check some things like that. But at some point, there, there just might not be deer coming through there. And you have to kind of like reset your expectations. Um, it might be as something as simple as the height on the tree. Again, like I've got one field where the trees on the edge of the field are like 12 feet lower than the crest. And the crest is only like 30 yards in front of them. The hill just falls off super steep. Like that camera, like I have to get, uh, I have to stand in the back of the ranger to kind of like get the camera up where it captures everything that crests that hill in the middle of the field. So it's just a bunch of little things. I, I, I think it's really just paying attention uh, to the surroundings. Um, I don't know that I've got anything that's going to like help people reinvent the wheel here. I'd like to think that I had some magic potion for them. Uh, I think it's just being aware really is and paying attention to the little details and then setting realistic expectations, uh, understanding what your goals are. Uh, me, I want to kill all the turkeys. That's the goal. well yeah and 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 i want to thank you so much for for joining us to talk about this because uh you know when as we started we said there there are not only are there so many ways you can approach trail cam scouting there are so many different cameras out there from guys who are working on a bit of a fixed budget and want a hundred dollar camera to someone who might want a great um, wireless or cellular camera with all the bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. And you're talking a couple hundred dollars and up. But again, that's a nice thing. Cameras have evolved so much. Uh, I was talking to a guy the other day and he started with his first trail cameras before there really were trail cameras 30 or 40 years ago. Not the people that you, like you and I could afford, you know, thinking like that way. Uh, uh, he would right. buy old digital cameras cameras uh when they were clearing them out at like a thousand or twelve hundred dollars a real camera and then figure a triggering mechanism and that's how he started to take his first deer pictures uh back in the 80s and 90s so they've come a long way but uh this is this is great thank you so much for joining us tom and uh for everybody who's listening if you had your cameras out hopefully you're already seeing some nice bucks in velvet if not now's the time to start getting them out because deer season's right around the corner if you're looking for a good quality camera make sure you check out browning trail cameras at browningtrailcameras.com and uh we'll see you next time on the bow hunting podcast thanks a lot everybody thanks for downloading the peterson's bow hunting podcast all bow hunting all the time pick up the latest issue of peterson's bow hunting magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com